I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online. Thank God for your lives also. And uh, some of you I have not seen in a very long time. This social media makes it look as if we are seeing each other. Some of you have not seen you for weeks, some for months. Some of you for almost a year now have virtually not been able to see you, uh, you know, like we normally have seen each other. But I know God sees you. God is mindful of your affairs. And I know that it is well with you. I believe and I'm confident and rest assured that he who has started a good work in you and in us this year will continue to perfect all that concerns you in the mighty name of Jesus. We want to bless God for the privilege he's given to us to start another new series today titled Supernatural Love Overflow. Let's give the Lord a big hand wherever we are. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Supernatural love overflow. Of course, this is our covenant season of uh, supernatural overflow, as we all know. But this month, in the four-part series that we have for this February, we will be looking at supernatural love overflow. And so I want you, as I would always encourage you, to connect. Do everything you can to connect. Do everything you can to connect, because God wants to do something new in your life and in my life. So we want to thank God for that. The title of today's session for this particular week is Enjoying God's Abundant Love. Enjoying God's Abundant Love. I am very confident that many of us know about the love of God. But the reality is that in our lives we don't know, uh, we make light of what that love is and uh, what God intends to do and to achieve in us and through us as he helps us to enjoy it. So the banner we have today is just of of blue waters. That is what we'll be using over the next uh, few months. And by the grace of God, um, we we need a lot of help with our media today because we're a bit shorthanded. So just bear with us. But the banner that you can, I believe you'll be able to see very shortly, is of blue waters and it contains the four titles that we have in the course of, thank you very much for that. The four titles that we have, uh, Enjoying God's Abundant Love is the first topic, and then Enjoying Spousal Love will be next week, Enjoying Brotherly Love will be third week's time, and Deploying uh, 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 or Manifesting Neighborly Love will be our fourth session in in four weeks' time. And um, I just want to encourage you to, as I always say, or in the fourth session rather, as I always say, please stay connected to these things and be blessed. Uh, I chose these blue waters as I was looking for something that represents abundance, abundance. Every time you go on a holiday and you go to a beach, I don't know about you, if I go to a beach, this is one thing that always amazes me, not the swimming. I'm not a good swimmer, by the way, but then not the swimming. I just like to look at the vastness of oceans. It shows me a little bit about God, something that you look at and look for the end that you can't see. It helps me to reason a little bit about God because that's how God is. So when we're talking about this supernatural love overflow, we're talking about this limitless love, this love that God has for mankind that you can't see the boundaries. Those days we used to sing a song. We say God's love is very wonderful as children, isn't it? We learned it in Sunday school. So high, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. So wide, you can't get around it. And that's exactly what it is. So I want to encourage you as... This is our first series, our first session of the series, Enjoying God's Abundant Love. A couple of years ago, 
I had the privilege of taking the family to Miami when I was doing my, uh, when I was celebrating my 50th birthday, uh, a holiday of one of those things you call a holiday of a lifetime. You enjoyed it for the moment, but I would never forget. This was one thing I enjoyed doing every morning. We stayed at Miami Beach Hotel, Miami Beach Hotel, which was overlooking, of course, the Miami Beach. And I liked doing that every day. I came out, our room was very high up, and I'll just look at the vastness of the oceans and just take it in, take it in. And that tells me that if God's love is typified in oceans and mountains and those things that are ranges that we can't, we can see parts of them, but we can't see the end, we should be a grateful people to understand that what God is expecting of us is never to make light of that abundance. And may God continue to grant us understanding in Jesus' name. Now, according to C.S. Lewis, when we talk about love, I like something that C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Four Loves. Uh, it was written a long time ago in 1960. That was the year my parents got married, by the way. And I want to thank God uh, that they are still alive and they are still uh, there in their marriage by God's grace. But the truth is that when C.S. Lewis wrote this book, he didn't know that what he would be doing to mankind is teaching man concisely what the Greek word love meant in the four distinct words. We are going to be concentrating on one of them today, but we'll be using the three others every now and then as we go on in the course of the week. The first one I'd like us to realize is the word storge, love. That is S-T-O-R-G-E, storge, love. This kind of love is the one that God puts in amongst brethren who are bound together naturally. So among siblings or parents and children, it is a natural kind of love that has a lot of emotions with it. It's very different from what you will have in the next group I will talk about, which is called filial love, filial love, P-H-I-L-L-I-O. This is talking about love for people around you, people that you are bound by a common cause, brethren in the church, brethren that you are bound together by a place of work or what you do and the things that bring you together or people that just are friends with you. So that is filial love. But you see, Sturgi takes a little bit beyond filial love because there is a little bit of blood connection with it. There is something of a relationship that has blood linkages, DNA links, and so on and so forth. And so it's important that we understand them. And of course, the love that exists between a man and his wife called the Eros love is also very deep. C.S. Lewis said something about that love. He said, it's not just so much of the sexual part of it. The sexual part of it is something, but when it is looked at just in that context, it misses it out. He said, it's not like when you say, uh, uh, I want a woman compared to I want this particular woman. And that was his phrase, that this Eros love is really more about wanting this particular person, committed love. So it's not just about a man and a woman just having a sexual affair and uh, otherwise everything that is happening in that realm will be called Eros love. But a lot of that is not really Eros love. Eros love is much more about a committed kind of love, yes, involving sexual intimacy, but it is much more about one that is born out of a deep commitment, sincere commitment to the things that, um, uh, that, that, uh, that are particular to those two people involved. So it is very important that we all understand that as well. 
And uh, then finally, he talks about, of course, agape love, which we all know about. This is the very nature of God. This is the very, the Bible tells us about it in 1 John chapter 4, verse um, 7, and particularly verse 8. It says, for God is love. Agape love is of God. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, for beloved, let us love one another. For God is of love, and everyone who loves is born of God. For God is love. For God is love. So agape love is God's abundant love. It is selfless. It is sacrificial. It is unconditional. It is God's kind of love. It is the expression of God's nature to humanity. And it is God's love, agape, that is working in us, that is given to us, is expressed towards us. It is working in us and it is working through us. There is no true love of any kind that, that can exist in this life without the empowerment of the agape. It is the agape love of God that makes man be able to be filial with his friend. It is the agape love of God that can work in a man that makes a man and his wife to be heroes with one another in sincerity. So the agape love of God is very important and we must understand it. It works, it is given towards us it works in us, and it works through us. And we can have many scriptures that help us to justify these things, but because of time today, we will just take as many as we can. I would just like to tell us three things about this God's abundant love, uh, and then take a fourth thing to summarize it. These three things, if we understand them, will help us to enjoy them better. And as I said, we are looking at agape love today, but we will be looking by in one way or the other in the relationships with the other forms of love later on. So we have stogi, like I said, filio, eros, and agape, love. So the first thing I'd like us to realize about this agape love or God's abundant love is that it is unconditional at the point of release, but conditional for delivery. A lot of people say, oh, God's love is unconditional. It is true. God's love is unconditional, which means we don't do anything to make it happen. We don't do anything that is for him to love us. Your performance and my performance cannot make God say, okay, I will love you because of your performance. And now that you have performed this way, I will love you. No, it, is, it doesn't need that condition. It's just released. It's released to mankind. This is very important for us to understand. But the unconditionality of it does not make it a total uh, 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 enforcement in the life of everyone. Everyone must respond to it in order to benefit from it. So it is conditional at the point of delivery. Look at it this way. It's like somebody says to you that I'm going to send you uh, a thousand pound check in the post. Okay, that is almost becoming a very old language now in our day and age, but it still happens from time to time. Um, I'm going to send you a thousand pounds in the post, but it will come by registered post. When it comes, you have to sign for it so that you can go and cash it. Now, do you know that if the, po the postman will take the letter, bring it to your very door, knock on it, and extend it to you? Now, if you refuse to sign, if you refuse to, to, to sign for that thing, no matter what it is, the postman cannot really, he has it, he has all authority to give you, but what you need to do to activate that thing to come to pass, you are refusing to do. So the postman has no choice but to take the letter back to the sender. 
This is exactly how I see God. You did not do anything to ask for the check. The man said, I will send the check to you. But what you needed to do to receive it and get it activated, you have not done. And this is what I want us to learn. This is exactly what John 3.16 is. In the course of the service earlier on, Pastor Lola led us to read John 3.10 to 20 when Jesus was discussing with Nicodemus. So these are the very words of Jesus Christ about himself, about God's love and about himself. In John 3.16, which I'm sure every one of us should know, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. All that he did unconditionally. We did not ask for it. We did not do anything to deserve it. He just simply decided, I am going to give my only begotten son. Now, many of us need to look at God's unconditional love from the Garden of Eden. It has been expressed many times. The very first time we saw all God's unconditional love come true was when man fell, especially when man fell and God slew an animal and took the, slew an animal and basically took the skin to cover man instead of the leaves that man was using to cover himself. That was the first time God showed a sign that what will restore you out of your disobedience is not something you can do by yourself. It's not something you can earn by yourself. I will have to do it for you. That was the very first sign. We know that Jesus was the ultimate manifestation of it, but that was the very first time. And then to show that he didn't want man to die in sin, he took him out of that garden. He said, lest he go and put his hand to touch the tree of life and live forever as a sinful person. So God's love has been demonstrated unconditionally to us. Man did not know. He was just sat down there. He disobeyed. He didn't know the consequence of everything until God showed him how much he has so drifted away from him and his nature. And so we must understand. So when Jesus came, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that is where we see the condition come to pass. Whoever. Somebody say whosoever. So whosoever is that signed, received delivery of the packet like I was talking about. That time when you sign to say I receive it, you become a whosoever. He said, whosoever believes what God has done will not perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus came to deliver abundant life to us based on God's abundant love. He came to deliver abundant life to us through this God's abundant love. So we have a duty. The condition of receiving it is, and for you and I, is to receive it by faith. The Bible says, for by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not our own doing, but it is the gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. So every one of us must understand this, that just like we have expressed our faith in receiving the great gift of salvation and we became born again, we must continue to receive the love of God manifesting in many other ways for our lives to take benefit of what he's doing. In John chapter 10, verse 10, just giving some background scriptures here on why God's abundant love is conditional at the point of release and uh, is unconditional at the point of release but conditional at the point of delivery is for us to understand. He said, Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. He said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So he has come to do this. 
For this purpose, the Bible says, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the evil one. Every one of us must continually appreciate what God has done in giving us this great gift of Jesus Christ. The enemy's work is very simple. To steal, to kill, to destroy. He has no two motives. When anybody says the devil is their friend, they are joking. The devil has no friend. He doesn't understand friendship. All he knows is lies, deception, destruction. So when people enter pacts into the devil and they say, we have a pact with the devil, we are of the church of Satan, we worship Lucifer, and they don't know what they're talking about. It's just God's mercy that is keeping them alive to even be saying those things. <laughs> Lucifer, if you give him chance, he will chew you quick. <laughs> Before you can even find yourself, he will eat you raw. He has come to steal, kill, destroy, that's all. And Jesus cannot lie. He has no other mission. But he said, I am come that they might have life and they may have it more abundantly. So every one of us must understand this. There is a condition that we must always, like I said, to fulfill that condition of salvation, we must always also understand that for every step of the way, for us to have joy and to enjoy the joy of salvation, we have to continually be releasing our faith to embrace the love of God. There was a man simply known as the rich young ruler in the Bible. This man's story clearly shows that if you are not willing to let go of worldliness and let go of things that may hinder us from loving God, we can rob ourselves of the benefit of the joy of salvation. Look at the story in Mark chapter 10 from verse 20. The Bible says, and he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Remember his story? He came to Jesus. He said, good master, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, you know the laws. Go and love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And the man said, oh, I've kept all these things since I've been youth. <laughs> I, that man is very wonderful. I would like to meet him someday. I pray he makes heaven. Because we heard that he went away sorrowful. But maybe, maybe, just maybe, he repented. It would be interesting to hear his story, to know how he, he, he met all those things he said he met. He said, I have, I have done all these things. I've kept all these things from my youth. And verse 21, then Jesus looking at him, loved him. Jesus looking at him, loved him. Jesus took the love of God manifested it physically to this man. As far as I'm, I can recollect in scripture, this is one man that had the greatest opportunity of salvation and blew it. He had a one-to-one, -one, not just one of those that was hearing about Jesus, not just one of those that was uh, 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 being talked about or, or, or that read history, or people like in our dispensation who are learning by faith about the works of God and uh, the great gift of God in, in, in salvation that Jesus offers. He met Jesus one-on-one. And the Bible says Jesus looked at him personally and loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and take up your cross and follow me. And we can see in verse 22, the Bible says, but he was sad. He was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. 
he could not let go of what he thought were more important, even though he wanted the most important. He knew that salvation was more important. That is why he came to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? He wanted it. But how many believers are like this man today? We know that the love of God is good. We sing about it. We talk about it. And then when he places a demand on how we must hate this world to love him, because he said, love not the world and the things that are in the world. When he says to us, we must let go of worldliness, how many of us truly realize that we have to let go of worldliness to enjoy the love of God? The Bible says the love of the world is enmity with God. You cannot love God and love mammon at the same time. You can only serve one. You can only love one. This man was a clear example of the fact that even though God's love is universal, is unconditional, if we refuse to let go of worldliness and the things that will keep giving us sadness in this world, there is nothing even God can do about it. The Bible says the man was sad. He was sad. Why was he sad? Because he had great possessions and he could not see himself giving up those great possessions. As believers, we must task ourselves and examine ourselves on a daily basis. What am I holding on to in this world? What is hindering my lifestyle of a wholesome love walk with God? What are the things that I continue to think are too much to give up? Every one of us must understand that while God's, whilst God's love is unconditional at the point of release, it is very much conditional at the point of delivery. Every one of us who should be recipients of it must come by faith and let go of the things that so hinder us. We're a very worldly generation. This is the most worldly the world has ever been. We're a very carnal generation. So carnal that carnality has even crept into the church so much so many people find it very difficult to be spiritual. And it is impossible to be carnal and spiritual at the same time. It's impossible. You can't, you can't do the two. You can't be a dog and a sheep at the same time. You can't. You're either a dog or you're a sheep. So we must understand that it is a choice we have to keep making. Whatever looks like great possessions to us. Every time things look like great possessions that we can't let go of, let us continue to make up our mind that we want to let go of them so that we can enjoy. He said, you will come, take up your cross, and you will follow me. He said, you will come, you will have treasure in heaven, you will take up your cross, and you will follow me. Praise the Lord. The next thing is that God's abundant love frees us from accusations and condemnation. This God's abundant love frees us from accusation and condemnation. And I want to take some time on this today. Because this is another realm that believers have lived for too long. John chapter 3 verse 17, he said, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God is not about condemning people. Now we know that verse 18, obviously, as we read it earlier on, says that he who believes is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Again, that is a choice of man. 
People say, why would God create a heaven and create a hell and send people there? God does not send people to hell. People send themselves to hell. People send themselves to hell. God does not send anybody to hell. No. People send themselves there. So we must understand this. He said, he who believes is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. That is to say, they by themselves condemn themselves already. So God's abundant love frees us from that kind of condemnation. For as many that name the name of the Lord, the Bible says God did not send his son into the world to condemn them anymore, but that the world through him might be saved. I picked some scriptures and stories that we're very familiar with today to emphasize these things today because I want us to reflect on those stories and to think about the goodness of God in these ways. The woman caught in adultery experienced freedom from condemnation through the love of God. We know her story in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is a very interesting story. They were, they brought this woman out. The Bible says they saw that she was caught in adultery and they said to her uh, that um, when they, they came to Jesus Christ, they said, look, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. These were their words. And they said, the law of Moses say, we should stone such a person to death. Say, what do you say? You know, as if they're expecting him, they were just trying to get him to say, don't stone her, so that they will say to Jesus Christ that, ah, you see now, you don't use the law you say you came to uphold, you are violating it. And if they say, if she says stone her, they say you are a wicked man. <laughs> say, you came to redeem people and you are saying we should kill her, can't you see you are wicked? <laughs> you know those kind of uh, trick questions. <laughs> when you are in an interview and somebody asks you that kind of trick question, just pray, Holy Ghost, give me an answer because many times it's very difficult to wriggle out. And that's what Jesus did. The Bible says he stooped down and he began to write in the sand. And that confused them because they were expecting him to talk. He didn't say anything. By the time the Holy Ghost released the bombshell, all of them left. <laughs> he said something not, nobody was expecting to hear. He said, now, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. That is verse 7. You are here. You are without sin. Go ahead. Throw the stone. I like the scriptures. The Bible says one by one they began to live from the oldest to the youngest. <laughs> I always like those kind of emphasis of scriptures. The older people know that they are history of sins. If they throw one stone, they are <laughs> something may fry them alive. So they quickly drop. The younger ones were still feeling, I, I can throw this thing. But the more they thought about it, they saw that they too, they are not free. The Bible says from the oldest, the eldest to the youngest. Everybody left. Now the key thing here is in verse 10. The Bible says, so when Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, where are those accusers of yours? Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And then the woman said in verse 11, she said, no one, Lord. No one, Lord. And am I... Okay, thank you. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You will hear this phrase, go and sin no more, many times when Jesus sets people free. It's very important. Because, you see, sin is the trap 
Sin is the device of the enemy to keep you in condemnation. Sin is the trap of the enemy to keep you in accusation. As long as he can find. Jesus said the prince of this world came and he found nothing. He cometh and he found nothing in me. So as long as you can give the enemy a foothold, something to stand with, he continues to come to accuse. So whilst we know that God's love is unconditional, whilst we know that he has not come to condemn us, let us not play into the hand of the devil by continually and persistently living in sin or unconfessed sin. We must be repentant. You see, confession of sin and repentance are two different things. It's one thing to say, oh Lord, I I told this lie again. Forgive me. He will forgive you. But are you willing to stop telling the lie That's the big question there. What takes condemnation away is not confession but repentance. What gives you power over condemnation and accusation is repentance, genuine repentance, a turnaround, refusing to say, I will no longer. That's why Jesus will say, he said to her, go and sin no more. Jesus said to the blind man in John chapter 10 and John chapter 9, he said, go and sin no more. Jesus said to the man at Gadarenes, John chapter 5, go and sin no more. Everywhere you will keep sin, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Because whilst I love you and I have power to deliver you, the biggest thing you need to do for yourself is to stop sinning. I cannot stop you from sinning. You have to stop yourself from sinning because that is the tool of the devil to continue to accuse you like these people wanted to condemn you and stone you to death. Every one of us must understand this. Paul said, shall we continue in sin and say that grace should abound? God forbid it. God forbid it. God forbid it. Even as a biological father, I know I can, I can feel a little bit. I mean, I can't co- compare myself in any way whatsoever to God, but I can feel a little bit. The love I have for my children is unconditional. There is nothing. They don't, they, don't do, they don't need to do anything to earn it by the grace of God. But the reality is that relationship can only be smooth based on the response to that love. If you choose to walk in wholeness and walk in integrity with it, we enjoy. But if you choose to live in a different way, it will make it difficult. This is the same thing we do to God. This woman was almost to be condemned. Let us live free. There's a story of Gary, Mary, and their grandma. It's a very funny story. I heard it some time back. From many places, different names, different contexts, but I'll put it this way. Gary, Mary... Gary, Mary, and their grandma. And their grandma had a dog. Gary was a junior brother to a girl called Mary. And uh, they were living with their grandma for some time. And uh, their grandma had a dog who used to play around the house. Now, Gary liked shooting the catapults. You know the catapults we used to kill birds those days? That we just shoot them at uh, birds. God have mercy on us. And uh, we, used to <laughs> we used to kill many birds like that as kids. When we were tired of that, when I was in northern Nigeria, we were tired of that. We faced lizards. And then we, <laughs> all those animal rights people, if they knew us that time, all of us would have been in jail by now. <laughs> anyway, Gary used to like to shoot birds with his catapult. So one day, Gary was having a nice time just aiming at birds. And for some strange reason, his catapult fired at grandma's dock. And it one shot to the head. And the dog died straight. 
And Mary saw Gary. And Mary went, oh, you know that thing children do? You have done the abominable thing. <laughs> the only dog of mama, of grandma you've killed. She went, oh. and Gary said, please, 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 please. Help me bury this thing. Don't tell grandma. Mary said, okay. Say, but one condition. Say, from today in this house, whatever I tell you to do, you have to be doing it. <laughs> Gary said, I will do anything. Gary didn't know what he was signing up for. He said, I will do anything. So when they asked Mary to wash plates, she would just cross her legs <laughs> in front of the telly and just shout, Gary, go and wash the plate. Anything they asked Mary to do, just say, Gary, that was it. Yes, Mary, go and, you know, whatever thing, the errand, everything was there. So Gary was doing everything. The day that broke the camel's back was they were to go out to a carnival and there was heaps of clothes that needed to be washed and... Um, for some strange reason, Mary was to do it, and she, she couldn't do it all, and it was time to go. Gary had done all his own chores, and uh, they were about to leave. Grandma said, Mary, you can't go because you've not finished your chores. And Mary looked at Gary and said, Gary promised to help me do them. <laughs> Gary promised to help me do them. Gary felt like crying, standing there listening to that, because he knows he didn't promise, number one. Then two, he knows that if he refuses, it will be a problem. So Gary said, I'm, I'm not going to do them. Mary looked, said, the dog? <laughs> Just to remind him that in case you have forgotten, the dog? He said, I'm not going to do them. And then he looked at grandma. He said, grandma, I killed your dog. <laughs> Gary freed himself that day in the presence of everybody. And you know what grandma said? Grandma said, Gary, I knew all along that you killed my dog. I was watching from the window. You didn't know. But I wanted you to learn a lesson that until you free yourself from Mary, <laughs> you will be a slave forever. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> so many times the reality is that we put ourselves in bondage when we live in sin or we live in unconfessed sin. Let us be open. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another. We hardly quote that part of the scripture, James 5, 16. We only jump to the part that says, for the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Confess. Confess. When somebody comes to you and they say to you that you offended them. Now, as a preacher, I've learned this. Because I talk a lot, either by preaching or by counseling people or talking to people, even counseling couples, you can say the wrong thing to, the, to one party or the other. It's very sensitive things because at times what you are saying, even though you are trying to see the case from the perspective of one spouse, you will now be offending them for saying it. <laughs> the person will be annoyed with you that, yes, I know it's a problem with my spouse, but I don't want you to say it. <laughs> and you're like, I'm trying to just help here. <laughs> so it's very easy. What I'm trying to say, it's so easy to offend people. Very easy. Very easy. So if you are a preacher or you are a leader in the church setting particularly, you must know this. You will offend people very easily. Now, does that mean that every time you offend people, you live in the bondage of people? No. One thing is that at times some of the offense is not, it's just a, somebody misconstrued you. You said something. I've had that many times. I'll preach my message and go, not thinking about anybody. And then somebody will call me or text me and say, Pastor, you were preaching about me two weeks ago. I, I didn't like it. I said, ah, me, I preach about you. Where did I know your story? <laughs> then when they tell me what I said, I said, ah, 
I didn't know it has anything to do with you. I was just doing what God sent me to do. And every preacher will have this. But in some cases, I may say something or do something that truly, maybe I was a bit insensitive. Maybe there were better ways I could have put it. I mean, it's just natural. It's real. Let's be real. So I'm always asking. As soon as I hear such a thing, I'm always asking, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way. I like to quickly move on with such things. Now, my, my policy is this. The moment I say forgive me, I mean it from my heart. I've moved on. Now, if you choose to be living in that and you want to draw me into condemnation, you are wasting your time. <laughs> I refuse to be condemned. I refuse to be accused because I have asked for your forgiveness. Praise the Lord. And this should be the policy of every believer. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He said, for there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation. So you must understand that you must free yourself from every accusation, every condemnation. Free yourself consistently. He said, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set, who, has set me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 2. This is Romans 8, 2. Say, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Free yourself. Free yourself. You are not bound by accusation and condemnation anymore if you live according to the spirit. The Bible says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 5 says, I'm reading Romans 8, verse 5. Say, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. That's Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh. What is the flesh? Galatians from verse 5 from verse 16 tells us rivalries, jealousies, envies, adulteries, murmurings, all those kind of bad things. He says if you live according to those things, you will continue to set your mind on the things of the flesh. He said, but if you live according to the spirit, we know from Galatians 5, to 23, that the fruit of the spirit, you live according to love, joy, peace, peace, patience, Kindness, gentleness, long-suffering. You live according to goodness. And on top of it all, you live according to self-control. He said, when you live like that, he said, you free yourself from the condemnation of man. Very sadly, our, our um, scriptures are not showing very well, but Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, but if you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. You are not in the flesh. Stop living in the flesh. The spirit of accusation and condemnation is very rife today. You have friends who will tell you that you offended them. I'm just talking generally now. I, let me just put a disclaimer. If you are in that situation... Whether I knew about it or I did not know, it has nothing to do with you. Please, I tell you, <laughs> praise the Lord. You have friends who will tell you that you did something to them uh, and that they felt offended by it. And you, you apologize. Sincerely, you apologize. But they just carry on. They carry on giving you a cold shoulder, giving you all kinds of, you know, cold treatment and harsh treatment. What they are trying to do is to draw you into 
a spirit of condemnation and accusation to make you feel guilty. How many times do you want me to feel guilty? By the time I was telling you I'm sorry, I've already felt guilty. That's why I'm saying I'm sorry. So you want me to, after saying sorry, to now continue feeling guilty and guilty? No, no, no. That has now become the work of the devil that you are doing for them. So don't allow people. And now we have many people in our day and age who are really frustrated. I must be honest with you. There's a lot of frustration in the atmosphere. People are frustrated financially, frustrated sexually, frustrated emotionally, frustrated career, frustrated with the economy, frustrated with all kinds of things. And sadly, most believers don't know that these are the spirits of the end time. The Bible says when that time comes, he said a lot of bad, bad things will be happening in the world. You need to detach yourself from it. Now, if you don't, and I, I do, and I am living free in God and enjoying the things that God said I should enjoy out of his love. And you want me to be drawn into your frustration. I refuse. Believers must refuse to be drawn into the things that God has rescued us from. What I will do is I will keep putting my hand to say, come out. You can come out of it. I will put my hand to say, step out. You can, over, you can overcome this temptation and trial. But instead of you allowing me to pull you out and you want to pull me in, I will let go of your hand. Hallelujah. It can sound harsh, but at the end of the day, I'm the one that will go and stand in front of God. I won't say, ah, if you say, why did you fall? I fell because that person made me fall. No, that's not what is going to happen. You have to stand. The Bible says, having done all things, you stand. When I was doing my master's, we had a Ghanaian lecturer who taught us Brilliant man. He taught me timber structure designs, and I'll never forget that. He's dead now. He died in the 90s, uh, just after we left uni. And uh, very brilliant man, Mr. Lecher. He would, he would teach first principles from the head. S.S. Lecher was his name. And um, S.S. <laughs> Lecher t- gave us a, a test. So we all did it, and um, somehow one of our friends did not... He did not submit in time. So we went with him. He said, let us go and plead with Mr. Lecher to collect his assignment from him. So all of us filed a queue. We went there, two of three of us, two people, myself and another friend, and the person who did not submit. When we got to his office, he asked us what the problem was. We told him that this is our friend. He said, how many of us own the assignment? He said, it's only this man that we only came to, to beg on his behalf. He said, okay. He said, what I will advise you from today is that if somebody is sinking <laughs> and you're on a boat, and you're on that boat that is not sinking, he said, help them once. He said, but if they are trying to pull you into the water, you better let go of them. <laughs> he said, this man is trying to pull the two of you into the water because he knows that he should have submitted on time. So it's a, I, I learned that lesson that day that you have to be very careful. But what I'm trying to say is that, you know, the reality is that we've got to know how to enjoy God's abundant love. I'm not saying this in any way to mean that we should not try to help people. But this spirit that wants to just put accusation on you, you have loved, you have called, you have tried, you have given, you have shown love. And yet the person just wants to make you feel guilty. It's demonic. It's demonic. People should stop doing it. Christians should stop doing it because it is not of God. That, man, that woman, Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. God does not condemn people. Why do you want to condemn people? Let us make up our minds 
that we will enjoy the love of God and we will help our brethren to enjoy the love of God. This is not in any way saying that this should mean that we don't care about each other. There are people who are having very serious issues that at times you want to help them. It's a bit difficult. You wait patiently to help. I'm not talking about not doing that. You do that. But this idea of wanting to make people, brethren, and those who God has put around you to be a support system to help you, wanting to make them feel guilty for what you are inflicting upon yourself, particularly, should not be allowed to continue. So God's abundant love frees us from that kind of accusation and condemnation. You will no longer be accused. I say you will no longer be condemned in the name of Jesus. Let us live in that wisdom. Number three, God's abundant love is merciful even when we go astray. This is something we must always remember about his love. God's abundant love is merciful, very merciful. You see, when I look at the lives of people like Jonah, I look at the lives of people like Abraham, it amazes me on how the mercy of God, the lives of people like David, Peter, who denied Christ, all these people I've mentioned, if you look at their stories, there were things they did that could have just made them forgotten by God. You know, God sends Jonah to Nineveh. He went the other way, fled to Tarsus, became, you know, shipwrecked almost, thrown into the sea, saved by a fish, provided by God, out of God's mercy, to take him back to land and get him to head on to the place he needs to go again. That's mercy. Despite all the wrong, 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 we all talk about Abraham giving birth to Ishmael. Abraham gave birth to Ishmael out of impatience of Rachel particularly. And, uh, sorry, of um, Sarah, sorry, of Sarah particularly. And yet, he, he, she, he, he, you know, what? at the end of the day, can you remember the story of Joseph in the pit? Who were the people that bought Joseph and sold him to? They were the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites. The same people that came out of that so-called mistake of, of Abraham. God's ways are not our ways. His mercies overrides all our wrongdoings. Does that mean we should now live anyhow and just let God take control? No, we suffer the consequence. Abraham, if he was here today, would tell you, men, never make that mistake. When the two women started to fight, my head was always swelling like this every day. <laughs> Somebody say, why do you think polygamy is not good? I say, it's not a problem. Go and try it. You have married one only. You are still trying to go and carry another one. Then you know... <laughs> You yeah, carry another one, another one, another one. Then you will know why it is. <laughs> Hallelujah. The truth is that God can use our mess to make a message. He can turn things around. We should never live in the sense, in the purpose of, you know, intentionally doing a wrong thing. But whatever wrong you have done in this life, never live as though that wrong has so thrown you out of God's will that it is impossible for God to amend your life. I know people today who are top doctors, top entertainers, and many other things, who used to be drug addicts. I know people who are preachers today. Somebody's just, as, as I was preaching, you know, of course we get live updates, and because I'm watching also on live here, somebody just shared my post. Is a son to the man I told you influenced me when I was a kid, a seven-year-old, who influenced me to, 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 to the Lord in terms of being able to be a preacher 
and also a professional because the man was a psychiatric nurse. He's his first son, Brother Coyote. He's a reverend now. He might be listening because he shared this, I'm sure, while we were on, in, the, in the service. But when we were young, Brother Coyote is about 15, almost 20 years older than me. But when we were young, Brother Coyote was very, very naughty. I'm sure he wouldn't mind me sharing that. He was very naughty. We didn't see him at church. First son of Reverend Ojai, we didn't see him at church. He, and the day he appears, he will appear with all his hair shaven like that. You don't know whether he's coming from where they are smoking weed or something. This was Reverend Ojai's eldest son. When I chatted him, where we connected about three years ago on Facebook, he said, David, I wasted a lot of my youthful years. I said, brother, the biggest thing is that you are a preacher. You are a retired reverend now. To imagine that you will be a, a reverend at all, not to talk of retiring in it and still carrying on. Our God is a faithful God. God can take anyone out of his mercies and turn, down, turn around their situations. So you committed abortion. So what? I'm not saying you should go and commit one. Don't say, ah, Pastor David, thank you very much. This is the best thing I've ever had in there. <laughs> From today, I'm just, that's not what I'm saying. But don't let the devil come and tell you because it's one abortion you committed 10 years ago that your womb is, no, 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 no. You are sanctified. Your womb is cleansed. You are totally delivered. God's mercy and love is prevailing over your circumstance in the name of Jesus. Psalm 86 verse 15 says, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious long-suffering and abundant in mercy, plenteous in mercy. That's what abundant in mercy means. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he said, but God demonstrates his love towards us that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us whilst we were still sinners. Now look at that. Keep reading. Verse 9 says, much more than having now been justified. Verse 9, please. Having now been justified. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him, through the same one who justified us by his blood. Verse, verse 10 says, For if when we were enemies, when we were enemies, we were reconciled. At that point, when we were the most wicked you can think about, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So even the mistakes you make, somebody say, oh, it was because of the mistake. God saved you only from the mistakes you made before you were born again. Now that you are born again, all the mistakes you are making, there is no hope. No, it's a lie. He said if he did it then, when there was nothing to show, you were an outcast. He came for you. He is still there for you now. No sin can take you out of his presence. As long as you stay repentant, as long as you stay humble, he will continue to reach out to you with his mercy and love. In the mighty name of Jesus. I want you to be confident in this. Many believers are beaten down and are out of the race today. Because they thought they have done something. Many pastors have fallen today. And they were a few years ago. Firebrand pastors leading work that had potential to be great. They fell into one sin. And then the so-called sin now became their story. Get out of it. And ask God to help you. Friends, this has nothing to do with validating immorality or evil in the house of God. But if we cannot say the blood of Jesus can sanctify from any sin, then it has become worthless. He died 
so that we can continue to be saved by his life. His death brought us to God. His resurrection continues to give us perpetual salvation. He continues to, the only person that has no chance is the person who truly refuses to repent. Jesus showed us by the two thieves on the cross. One to his right, one to his left. One said, if you are the son of God, save yourself and us. Not willing to repent. Another one said, please, remember me when you get to your father's kingdom. And he got saved. I don't know, they always call them robbers that time, but they are usually armed robbers. They must have killed people, done all kinds of things. And by the way, you see, we are the ones who have classified sin. Sin of lying, cheating, adultery, murder, they are all sin. That's why Jesus did not say to the woman, go and, com- go and do not commit adultery again. Did he mention the type of sin? Don't say go and do what? Go and do what? I know we believers, we like to classify sin. <laughs> so when they, say to, when they say somebody fell into sin, that means he either committed adultery or he killed somebody. In fact, most of the time, that is the only sin. When, when believers say somebody fell into sin, it's usually adultery. All the lie he has been lying before, he did not fall into sin. <laughs> All the jealousy, malice, anger, bitterness, all that one is believers have taken it as normal sin. There's no normal sin. <laughs> There's no normal sin. We are the ones who decided to graduate some sin. As far as God is concerned, all have sinned and fallen short. It didn't say some have committed lies, some have committed adultery, some, no, 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 all have sinned. The only thing is that different sins have different consequences. If a man commits adultery, there's a potential that he can have things that happen to him, even physically speaking, and then emotionally for the woman. and for the, So there are many things that happen. But it's the same thing. So what I'm trying to say is that understand something that you should not willfully walk into sin or live a life of sin. This is, this I'm, I cannot overemphasize. But I must tell you, pick yourself up and determine to keep running the race. Have you ever seen people running a marathon that they fell down and they get up again and they keep going and they get up again and keep going? That is the way this Christian race is. And at times you have to carry your brother. You have to pull them up. You have to pull them up and say, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's keep going. But what do our believer generation do as they are going along? They are going along, one, four. Instead of using hand to help down, they use leg to kick him down again. You see, you very useless. <laughs> Very useless. The other one comes and and that demand say, help me. I don't want to do this. I don't know why I'm falling. They say, yeah, good for you. Good no one. And we keep going. The Bible says, he that thinks he stands, let him take heed, lest he fall. The man who is kicking today can be the one falling tomorrow. <laughs> I've seen many, many preachers who took some, some other preachers. When I was younger, 20, 30 years ago, I saw preachers who took some preachers to the, to the shredders because they fell into so-called sin. They abused money or abused children or did something very wrong. But other preachers took them and tore them to pieces on their... And in next to no time, they themselves were enmeshed in things. I'm not wishing anybody bad, but I'm only saying that this is the reality of our day. Let us enjoy the love of God. Let us continue to understand the mercies of God. Living like the father 
of the prodigal son. Knowing that this man, in Luke chapter 15, the Bible tells us his story that he looked out for his son on a daily basis. And as basically, and the day he saw his son coming back, the Bible says he went. In verse 14, when the child, this is Luke 15, 14, he said, when he has spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. This was the, the prodigal son. He began to be in want. The Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When you leave the presence of God, you can begin to be in want. When you leave, the, when you leave, when you leave in disobedience to God, you can, be, you can begin to be in want. Don't leave the presence of God like the prodigal son. But be also like the father, like God's love is to us. Be magnanimous. The Bible says, and he arose, verse 20, he came to his father. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his knees and kissed him. Keep on loving. Keep on loving. I learned from a very, very early childhood that when believers come together and they're in one space, most of the time, there are things that may cause friction among them and they may have issues. And at times, it tears churches apart. It tears people apart. But what God has ever told me is, whatever you do, never stop loving everybody. I live my life like that on a daily basis. Except the person wants to hate I don't have it. There's nothing I can do about that, but there's no one person I've ever met in my life, especially a child of God, served together in the ministry, that I will say that I ever hated them. God forbid. A child of God must be loved. You cannot say you love me, and then you, you hate any of my children. It doesn't work that way. Or you hate my wife, especially. Ah, that one. You are, <laughs> you are finished. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> People say, oh, I just love God. I love, but you see that brother there. No, no. It's not, I don't want to have anything. You don't love God. <laughs> you cannot love God and hate any of his children. No, you cannot. Leave his children to him. That's why he told Moses. Moses said, this is your stiff-necked children. He said, I know they are stiff-necked. But who told you to call them? <laughs> who told you to call them stiff-necked? Leave God and his children. Some people, some years back, after we started this church, some people left and they said all kinds of things about me. And I was hearing it here and there, here and there. And I called them. I said, what's happening? They never told me anything, but I was just hearing things and that. And the temptation was so much of me to begin to tell people what I knew about them that I had never told anybody. When I met people that were talking, they had this and they were telling, the spirit will rise up. That is the spirit of the enemy now. He will rise up and say, say all the things you know. Ah, it is the chance. Say all those bad, bad things that you two you know. And as soon as I'm just resisting the temptation, the Holy Spirit will say, keep yourself. I am the spirit of self-control. Control yourself. Control yourself. Never return evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. It's not easy. The temptation will be so high. The thing will be very hot on your lip like this. <laughs> your tongue will be shaking to release it. <laughs> You have to control yourself and say, no, I'm bigger than that. I'm bigger than that. It's called self-control. This man, his son, had wandered off. His father would have told him, you blew it. As far as the elder brother was concerned, he has blown it. Like many other believers would say, that one has blown it. But the reality is that God's love always embraces God told me something in the year 2013, just when the church was starting. He said, son, I called you to do this work for me. Anybody that comes 
to join you to do it. Embrace them with open arms. He said, anytime they feel they need to leave, send them off in peace and wish them well wherever they go. Say, because you will never lack people to do the work with you. That's my philosophy. That's my philosophy. So when people don't, you have never heard from me, somebody leaving this church, and I say, you are cursed, you are forever, and these, all those kind of things. I say, no, 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 it's a waste of time. I've seen it done before. He said, you have left my covering. What is my covering? I don't have any covering anywhere. <laughs> you have heard that before? You have left my, me too, I'm looking for covering. <laughs> any pastor that tells you you left this covering, tell him, yes, yeah, stay under your covering. <laughs> Which covering? Me too, I'm looking for covering. Ah, my covering. <laughs> you want God to kill me? Which covering do I have? You, I'm telling you, yeah, you have left my covering. All the anointing you have is mine. <laughs> I've heard that before. Because somebody went to start church, he said, you have, all the anointing is mine. <laughs> Just wish them well. He said, and if any of them should come back at any time, remember Luke 15, have opened arms and received them. I'm still waiting for many to come like that. <laughs> Hallelujah. But honestly, friends, life, these are things that we do that make it easy for us to sleep and wake up when we need to sleep and wake up. These are the things that we embrace, the love of God. Be settled. You don't know John the Beloved? Jesus will be preaching and he will just put his head on his shoulder like that. That is the life of a Christian. Peter and the others will be saying, who is the greatest? I want to know where is he is. <laughs> <laughs> Peter was very funny. Even when Jesus came back after resurrection, and Peter said, God, Jesus said to Peter, Feed my sheep, feed my lamb, feed. He still asked, He said, How about this one? Asking about John. <laughs> Jesus said, What? Go and read this in John 21. He said, What has that got to do with you? Face your own business. Hallelujah. May God continue to help us in Jesus' name. Let us love. Let us love like he loved us. Let us enjoy his love. Finally, I want to say his abundant love is everlasting and he's perpetually rewarding. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. The Lord appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. He has loved you with an everlasting love. He said again, verse 4, I will build you and you shall be rebuilt. O virgin Israel, you shall again be adorned with your tambourines and you shall go forth in dances of those who rejoice. Verse 5 says, you shall plant vines on the mountains of Samaria. You shall plant vines on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and eat them as ordinary food. For there shall be a day when the watchmen will cry on Mount Ephraim, Arise and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. Verse 6. If you know the love of God, you will always be at peace. As a young boy growing up, I enjoyed the love of a father very much. My father is still alive. He's 86 years old. I knew he loved me. You can't confuse me about it. And by that, I also understand the love of my heavenly father. Every believer must understand this abundant love of the father. Otherwise, people will confuse you. Otherwise, you will doubt yourself. You will doubt your standing with God. Never let those things come in between the love your father has for you. It is abundant. It is unconditional. Receive it. 
it is not accusatory and condemning, but rather it delivers you from accusation and condemnation. Embrace it. It is merciful. Walk in the fullness of it. If you, by any chance, find yourself falling, rise again, embrace him, and let him help you not to fall again. He said, even if you fall seven times, he said, you will rise again. God will continue to help you through this race. Never give up on yourself. Never give up on him. And it is everlasting. It does not end. It is eternal. Hallelujah. May God continue to help us enjoy his abundant love. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let us bow our heads and pray wherever we are. Where